We're going to be in Psalms this morning, Psalms 95, if you want to turn your scriptures there. And uh, Psalms 95, slowly, 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 we start to get people around and back. (laughs) Yes, it is good. Let's stand together and, and read the scriptures together. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and with song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountains, peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock that are under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in Meribah, as you did that day in Massah in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they'd seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger that they shall never enter my rest. Lord, add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. Haven't said that in a while. Let's let's say that phrase that we put up on, on, on the wall together. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Good words, good words. Six-year-old girl was sitting in her church. She was real fidgety. You know how they get. She's very fidgety in, in church. And her little four-year-old brother was even more fidgety. So she was angry with him. So she spoke a very stern word to him. She says, you're supposed to be quiet in church. And her brother asked, who's going to make me? Sounds like a little brother, doesn't it? Who's going to make me? And she pointed to the back of the church. She says, see those guys back there? They're called hushers. (laughs) Hushers. The hushers are back there. The hushers are coming. (laughs) The hushers are coming. Why are you here today? Why why are you here today uh, in this worship service? Why did you get up this Sunday morning... Perhaps, maybe it's your only day you have off of work and get dressed and come to church. Perhaps you're here because you feel pressure to be here. Maybe there's something in your life that's happening. Tony Evans said that growing up, he had a drug problem, that he was drugged to church every Sunday morning. (laughs) He was drugged to church every Sunday night. And uh, maybe that's the way it is with you. You got drug here. Sometimes it's good to be drugged to church and be brought here. We're starting a series of spiritual disciplines that we're going to teach uh, Christian practices that are, that are normative for us as Christian people, like gathering for corporate worship, being together as God's people, um, private meditations, uh, prayer. We usually start the, 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 the year off with a sermon on prayer, but I'm going to incorporate it into this. Disciplines of simplicity, 
generosity and who we are as Christian people, reading the Bible, community together, fellowship, spiritual fellowship. And today in Psalms 95, we're looking at the question, why, why worship? Why worship? So uh, as a minister, I've been asked a question. And this is the question. I put it in front of you. Christians believe and talk about all these great things, but in reality, Christians are every bit as messed up as everyone else, if not more. What's up with that? What's up with that? On the one hand, <laughs> I've seen hundreds of people brought to faith in Christ. I've seen hundreds of people grow in the Lord. But there are those who profess the name of Jesus, and this is what this individual is getting at, and others as well, who are, in spite of their proclamation of their belief, that are just as selfish, just as messed up as everyone else. And we try to address that a little bit. First of all, let's have a word of prayer. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Glad to worship. Glad to exalt your name. Humbled by your goodness and your presence. Wonder at the promises of your word happy with fellowship with God's people. And we come with those thoughts in mind as we come to worship you, as we come to open the word of God, allow the word of God to sweep over our hearts and our spirits to strengthen us for all that comes to us during this week. And we just come to praise you. And as the group just sang, to speak Jesus into the hearts of people. We thank you for the privilege we have of being here and to worship you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you say you believe in Jesus, that he died for your sins. The Bible says if you believe that, if you believe that, there's a character it ought to produce in you. It ought to produce something in your life. You should have, just go through the fruit of the Spirit, right? You should have joy and peace and patience, honesty, humility, gentleness, self-control, grace, Christian disciplines in our life. Why is it so many people with belief in Jesus don't have that character? That's what the question is that we have before us. That's the question the world asked of us as a Christian people. The answer is you, you need a bridge between belief and character. There has to be a bridge between belief and character. And here's the thing. We're created in the image of God in our minds, and our minds are a part of that, that creation. But so is our emotions, and so is our bodies, and so is our souls. And if you want beliefs to actually produce character in you, then you, they have to be driven down into your hearts through spiritual disciplines that engage the entire person and how you live your life. The mind, the will, the emotions, the whole person at a very deep level. Unless you're engaged in a regular, 
continuous Christian practices in your life, that bridge doesn't get built. And that's the bridge that ignites belief in your life and there will be a disconnect from how you live your life. If you say, I believe it, but you don't go to worship regularly, you don't have any prayer life to speak of, you don't do any of these particular disciplines that we're going to talk about over the next several weeks, you're going to be at best inconsistent and at worst a hypocrite. What you believe here, what you believe here is not going to show up in your character. It's an illustration of this, you know, if you're, and, and you're aware of this, if, you, if you're going to tunnel through a mountain, and uh, we've had many of that as you go across our great country, and you put uh, some explosive in front of the, the, the mountain there on the rock and you detonate it, it might shear off the face of the rock just a little bit, create a lot of noise, but it actually won't change things. But if you drill a hole down deep into the rock, deep down, way down, and you put the explosive down into the center of the rock, mountains will crumble when the explosion happens. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Christianity. And we say that. I believe that. And you, if you don't drill down the disciplines into your life, don't consistently worship. You're a stranger to prayer and prayer life. You don't know the Bible or readings that are in the Bible. You don't know the disciplines of spiritual friendship and accountability in the body of Christ, that we're accountable to one another. And the other disciplines, you're in danger of missing what he calls at the end of this passage, the rest. Coming into the rest of God. And that's why you need worship. And that's why you need to do quite a lot of things that we're going to speak of in the next couple of weeks. We see it in Psalms 95. In verse 1 it says, come. There's, 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 a, there's a, a summons, come. In verse 2, let us come. In verse 6, come on and da- bow down before God. We are not only summoned by God in Psalms 95, it's a congregational worship. This, this is not being said by God. This is being said by people. You come. You come with us. You come worship with us. It's a congregational call to worship. It's one believer telling another believer, come on, come on, let's do this. Let's worship the Lord. It's time to celebrate God through the songs and through shouts of praise, through scripture reading, through prayer together, to being together with God, in praising the disciplines of the Christian faith. And so we come to this and ask the question, what is worship? What is worship? Tim Keller puts this definition before us. I like it. It says, worship is ascribing ultimate value to an object and engaging your mind, your heart, and your will, your whole being as you do it. Using your entire person, is what he's saying, to ascribe ultimate value to an object. That's worship. So first, worship isn't worship unless it engages the whole person. Right there, the whole being. The whole being. You put your whole self in, right? Look at verses 1 and 2 in the scriptures. There you're told to worship joyfully, first of all, with the emotions. Shout. Shout, sing joyfully to the Lord. 
And then in verses 6 and 7, it says you're commanded to worship submissively with your will. You, you submit yourselves, your will, your mind. You're supposed to bow. You're supposed to kneel. That's not talking about emotions of joy. It's talking about submitting yourself. You're bowing before God. You're giving yourself to him to make changes in the way that you think, changes in the way that you live. And then down in verse 7, it says you have to listen to his voice. There's the thing of your mind, the understanding, right? The understanding, the mind. Taking the message of Scripture, understanding it, so that there's your mind, there's your will, there's your emotions. Every part of you is engaged. Jesus said it this way, and we all know this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, right? Right? That's exactly what he's saying with his definition. Realize what that means. Realize what that means. If it's just the mind and you don't see the beauty of the Lord in your inner being in a way that makes you weep, that just makes you tremble, when you stand before God, if you have belief, but you've never shouted joyfully to the Lord, no feelings, nothing welling up within you, no joy, or you have lots of feelings, lots of experiential emotions that you have, you worship and you're constantly happy, you're constantly singing and, and have these great emotions, but there's no bowing down, there's no kneeling. Loving with heart, soul, mind, strength, and it doesn't change you? Doesn't change you? Week after week, you're grumpy. You know? Week after week, you're down. You're just as bitter. You're just as anxious as before. You're just as harsh, out of control with people. The Bible says, come. Come. Bow down. Come. Come. Worship, true worship involves all of you, all of who you are, and takes your belief and drives it down into the heart so it can really do some damage in a good way. It can really change things in your life. Secondly, and here's the essence of it, worship is ascribing, the second part there, ultimate value. Ultimate value. What does that mean? Well, there's a little preposition here that I like in Scripture, and you'll see it in Psalm 95. And that's, it's really key. It's real that important. And it happens in twice. In fact, it, it shows what triggers real worship. For example, in verses 1 and 2, look in your Scripture. It says, come, let us sing for joy. Let us shout aloud. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. And here it comes. Here's the preposition. For... What triggers this joy? What triggers all of this? What triggers all this singing? All this happiness? Verse 3, for the Lord is great. For the Lord is great. And then you go down to verse 6 and 7. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let's kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. What's the trigger for all this submitting and change? Verse 7, for he is our shepherd God. 
He's our shepherd God. The psalmist is weighing, he's calculating, he's thinking, he's treasuring, he's thinking about the greatness of God. Yahweh is worthy of our humble worship because he is God. That's it. That's the end of it. He's God. He's worthy of everything we give. The ancient Hebrews had choices of gods. We have choices of gods today. So it was a deliberate act of allegiance to say, Yahweh's my God. Yahweh's my God. I belong to him. He belongs to me. We're together. We're one. I am like the sheep of his hand. In other words, when he says, for God is our shepherd God, that's calling to mind all the stories, all the attachments, all the statements, all the things in the Bible that have to do with God being a shepherd God. And he's calling all these things to remembrance. Again, the psalmist is thinking. You know, it's using the mind. He's thinking about these things. He's weighing, he's treasuring the excellencies of God until there's an explosion of emotion. He's thinking, he's thinking. Now the emotion begins to kick in. And he, the emotion begins to explode in his life until his whole life begins to explode in joy when he thinks about all of this. That's worship. That's ascribing ultimate value to God in our lives. The beauty of the Ten Commandments is that they cover all of life. In the first commandment, God actually says, you must worship me rather than something else, right? Worship me, I'm it. I'm the only God. Notice God says there's no possibility that you're worshiping nothing. Everybody worships something in their life. You're either worshiping me or you're worshiping something else. You're worshiping something. There's a lot of people saying, no, no, I don't, no, I don't, I don't worship anything. I, I don't, I don't, no. That's, that's not true. Everyone worships something. Everyone. Everyone builds their lives, gives their hearts, sets their hopes, ascribes ultimate value to something or someone. You know why? Because you have to have something to live for. You have to have something to live for. You have to find meaning in something to have hope. It's either your career, your lover, your person, your family, your money, pleasure, but you're looking for something. And you're putting yourself somewhere. Here's what you're doing. The old word worship comes from the old English phrase, worth shape. Worth shape. It means you're being shaped by the worth of something. Worth shape. You're being shaped by what you find worthy in your life. Imagine a woman, if you will, she has inherited a piece of jewelry from her mother who's recently passed away. She gets it, but she really doesn't know its worth at all. She puts it on the top of her bureau and she forgets about it. As the years go by, she ignores it. Sometimes she'll throw something on top of it and then not see it for a while. She doesn't really take much notice of it at all. And one day she decides to take it to the jeweler to see if it's worth anything. The jeweler gets hold of it and he's looking at it and suddenly he, he says, well, just wait a minute, wait a minute. And then he goes and takes in the back room and he does a test on that. He goes online, he does some research. Next thing you know, he's 
He's, uh, his breathing's heavier. He's a little bit labored in his breathing. The beads of, of sweat start to break out on his forehead. And he has come to realize that this is a long lost historical piece that is literally priceless and worth more than all the jewelry that he's sold in his store for the last 24 years to put together. Now his entire being is beginning to get engaged in this. He's looking at it. He's thinking about it. He's calculating it. He's adding it up. It's beginning to explode in his life, the meaning of it all. This means, this means, he's thinking, he's thinking. This means the difference between him and her is that he's being shaped by the worth of it. She's not. She's not. Now the Bible is saying an awful lot of people in the world believe in God. Say, I really believe in, in, in God. But they're no different. They're no different. They're just as selfish, just as messed up as anyone else. You know why? You know why? Because God is like that piece of jewelry on the bureau. He's in their lives, but they have no sense of the value. No sense of the worth. No sense of the beauty of who he is. It has never been taken down into the very center of their lives where there's an explosion of understanding, an explosion of joy, and they begin to change, and their lives begin to change. And because of that, you'll be an inconsistent person at best, and again, the worst, you'll be a hypocrite. Everybody is shaped by something. Everybody is shaped by something. This is why worship is so critical. It's so critical. Remember I said the first two commandments are about worship. All the other commandments flow out of that truth. Do you know what, what, what that means? What if you're failing in self-control in your life? You, you just don't have any self-control in your life. What if you're failing to love your neighbor in your life? Failing to be honest about things. Uh, do you know Why? It's because you're worshiping the wrong thing. If you're lying, if you're cheating, if you're looking at something besides God and saying, I have to have that in my life or my life isn't worth anything, you have to have your reputation, you have to have this or you've got to do this to keep your job, you've got to make money, you've, you, you've got to lie and say, and then you say, well, I'm a bad person. I'm a bad person. I'm dishonest. Well, yeah, but the real problem is there's something besides God that you're looking at. There's something besides God that you're looking at. There's something you're worshiping more than God, and that's why you're screwed up in those areas. If you really value his love over the love of everything else, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all, if you really value his love more than everything else, all of your problems come from where your heart is. They come from where your heart is, what your heart is treasuring. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, right, there your heart will be also. Until you treasure God, until you're worshiping 
meditating and treasuring God, you're not going to change. You're not going to change. And if you want to change your life, you have to change what you worship and understand what you worship. That's the secret, see? That's the secret. So how is that done? How is that done? One of the most obvious things about the whole psalm is that it's plural. Have you noticed that when you were reading through it? Let us worship, not me. (laughs) Not me worship. You know, let us worship. Oh, come, let us worship. Why is that important? Can I just go home by myself? Be by myself? I can do this by myself. I don't, you know, I, you know, I don't like getting out. I, I, it's a lot of trouble. I'm a busy person. I'm, I'm, I'm a private person. I, and I don't like half the people out there anyway. You will never know. You will never know the deep things of God unless you corporately praise, corporately pray, corporately study the word of God, praise together, walk together, cry together, love together, pray together. Corporate Christianity worship is crucial. The church, we sang about it. We are the church. It's so important. Corporate worship is so important. It really is. 80% of Americans say you can be a good Christian and not go to church. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. Do they mean you can be saved and not go to church? Well, yeah, you can. Because you're not saved by going to church, you know? But it's not true that you can be a, a changed life person and not relate to the body of Christ. It will not happen. It will not happen. The idea that you can be a changed life Christian and not go to church is bunk. It's bunk. And what's interesting about Psalms 95 is there's praise for the first five verses, there's submission and confession in the middle, and then there's a listening to God's word At the end, guess what? Psalms 95 has an enormous impact on the liturgy of the church, of what we do together. What we do together. Why do we do what we do? Why do we sing? Why do we take the offering? Why do we pray? Why do we open the word? Why do we? There's a rhythm to it. Beyond the understanding of there's a rhythm to life that we have, and and coming to church and doing things that God tells us to do, forsake not the gathering together, is there's a rhythm to life. And it's part of who we are as a people, that there's this rhythm of gathering and being with one another. That's why it's been so hard with COVID, because we haven't been able to be together like we should and like we need to be. There's this certain rhythm that comes And in that rhythm of life with him, you see the greatness of God. You see it in one another. You see it in the songs that you sing and the prayers that you pray and the community that you have together. It's thinking about the greatness of God, telling each other how great he is in your life. Thinking about where you have to change in your life and studying that. Listening to God's word of grace and then you end by praising God and confessing All of these things, God, as you go out into the world, 
It's worship that changes you. Not, not information from my sermon. It's worship that changes you. And then look at verse 10. This, this almost seems odd that this is put there. He says in verse 10, he's talking about rest. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They have not known my ways. So I declare on my oath, my anger, they shall never enter my rest. I don't like that. (laughs) I don't like that at all, you know. They're wandering in the wilderness. They're, in the wilderness there, this wandering means they're far from God. Verse 8, and because of that, and, and the reason they are is they, the scripture says, verse 8, they've hardened their hearts, right? Verse 10, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They doubted God. So now they're wandering in their minds, in, in, in their activities, the things that they're doing. They did not have faith in his promise to give them a better future. They wanted to go, remember, they wanted to go back to Egypt. Let's go, we go back there. We had it better back there. This isn't so good out here. We don't like it. They gave up on God. They gave up on the things of God. We don't need, and now we don't need God. We'll do it ourselves. We'll just do it ourselves. And every day they got up and they put everything in their lives on their backs, everything they had, all their possessions, everything. They put it on their back. Think about that. They needed rest. They were tired. They were in the wilderness. And they're living from day to day, day to day, carrying their lives, their families, their world on their backs because they didn't allow God's word to get down deep and change them. They have not known my ways, the scripture says. And now they're wandering around. Same thing day after day month after month, year after year. You see the great lesson here? The great lesson? The Christian's life is a day-to-day, hour-by-hour trust in the promises of God to guide us and take care of us and that he will satisfy our hearts. They push that to the side. They push that. We don't need him. We don't need him. Psalms 95, 11, Therefore I swore in my anger that they should not enter my rest. The supreme thing in worship is to learn how to rest in God. Learn how to rest in God. Rest means to depend upon God's activity, not mine. Rest in God. Hebrews defines it this way, same thing. He that has entered into rest has ceased from his own works. He who has entered my rest has ceased from his own works. And that is what rest is. It's mental health. We talk a lot about mental health. We see it on the news of what's happening in our country. That's the thing about mental health. Peace of heart, peace of mind. That is what God wants for you and me. He wants us to rest in him to believe in him, that he has life under control. He wants us to be able to cope with whatever comes our way, whatever he throws at us, whatever happens. And that will come to us when we surrender to his word. Surrender the word of God. There's no other way. 
There's no other way. There's no alternative path. There's no drugs that you can take that will give you rest. There, there's no pursuit that you can follow, no book you can read, no practice you can undertake that will bring you peace of heart. There's simply no alternative. You cannot come into the rest of Almighty God without the Word of God implanted in you. The Word of God. That is why it's so important that when we worship together, we listen to the Word of God. We pre- this is what the, the pulpit's all about. It's, it's, it's placed in the middle. The Scriptures are here, and it goes over the Word of God to the people of God. That's the symbolism of the pulpit. From the Word of God. And I got this little sign here that I've had here for, oh, sir, we wish to see Jesus. It's about that. It's about the Word of God placed in our... So we search it. We love it. We, we, we breathe it. We eat it. We take it into ourselves and we let it search us. We let it speak to us and find us out and change us and challenge us and say, no, no, no. Don't go that direction. Don't do that with your life. And then we glorify God who made us and we give him all the glory that's due to his name. I don't have time to read. You can go through through Hebrews 4 and read some of these things. But basically it says that we have the same problem as the Israelites. We are still stubborn. We're still carrying our own lives, doing our own stuff. Putting stuff, we, 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 we still think we're saved by our works. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do that. Everybody's looking at their performance, their work, to feel like they're worth something. Look what I do. Look what I did. Look what I built. And we're saying, I'm, a, I'm, 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 I'm worth something because I'm a good person. I'm worth something because I'm a good person. I'm a, I'm, I'm a liberal person. I'm a conservative person. I'm a moral person. I'm a religious person, whatever. But you're never sure you've lived a good enough life. A good enough life. Here's the word of grace. Here's the gospel. Jesus Christ came and he died for you He came and he paid the penalty for your sins and he lost everything. He lost everything. He came, he suffered, he lost everything. He was pierced, he was crushed, he was beaten, he was whipped. An unbelievable price. And yet Isaiah 53, 11 says, interesting little words that are there in the 11th verse. When he's describing the suffering servant of God, he has a little line that says, the results of his suffering, he will see and be satisfied. Did you ever read that? The results of his suffering, he will see and be satisfied. That's amazing. That's an amazing statement that I say. He's going to look at all that he gave, all the experience, all the beating, the cross, the pain, the blood, and he's going to say, the results are so valuable to the cross. It's worth it all. He's looking at something, and he's he's saying, saying, look, 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 look at the worth of that. 
Look at the worth of that. He's being shaped by the worth of something. Jesus Christ was moved by the worth of something to come here and die. What was it? What was it? We were talking about this on Wednesday night just this past week. Jesus Christ had to suffer for something he didn't have before. You say, well, what didn't he have? He's Lord of the universe. I mean, he's king of kings, Lord of lords. He's got everything. You know, what, what didn't he have? He has everything. What's the one thing he's looking at that makes it worth it all? Do you know what he's looking at? He's looking at you. He's looking at his church. He's looking at his bride. He's looking at us. First Peter 2 says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's treasured possession. Jesus Christ looks at you and loves you and adores you and adds up your worth and calculates it, thinks about it, and is so moved by love for you, he's willing to come and give everything and still say, it's worth it. It's worth it all. In other words, he treasures you. He treasures you. When you see him treasuring you at infinite cost to himself, that'll make you treasure him. It should make you treasure him. See, when you realize you're his treasure, if you drive that down deep into your heart, that, that'll make him yours and you his. And you'll start to worship. That's rest. That's rest. That's the secret of worship. And it'll change your life. I mean, it'll really change. You know, people say, I want you to change your life. So often we come to church, we nitpick about things. You know, we do. And we're like that. You know, I do that. How did you like the music today? I didn't like it. Too loud. Too noisy. How did you like the sermon? Eh, Tom's been better. It was okay. Like the sermon. Preacher wasn't as best this morning. And did you notice the dust on the pews? Wonder when they were cleaned last. What's the pastor got on anyway? You know. And if that's your attitude, you're not going to get much out of stuff, right? You're not going to get much out of stuff. But if you come with this attitude, Lord, search my heart. Teach me, Lord, that there's something in this service today that will cause me to become more deeply committed to you. More deeply committed to you. John Goff once told of being in a church service, and I'll close with this, and he hears this voice behind him. He's singing. They're singing a closing song, and there's this voice behind him. It's, it's, it's hoarse. It's it's It's... It's not in tune. I mean, there's no rhyme or reason to this guy and his singing, and, but he's just singing. They're singing the song, Just As I Am. And he's cringing from this guy behind him. He's like, oh, this guy, he can't sing. He's off key. And he says, because this man was the worst singer he'd ever heard. There was no melody. There was no tune. There was no nothing. And after three stanzas, they had an interlude. And he's, oh, good. The guy's not singing. And as that was being played, he said this, uh, he felt a hand on his shoulder. And the man with this terrible voice uh, asked him, he says, you know, he said, could you 
tell me the first phrase of the last stanza. I think I can get it if I had the first few words. And Goff said he turned around and he looked at this man that was standing there, this terrible singer, and he saw the man was blind. So he passed on to him the words of the next stanza of Just As I Am, which went, Just as I am, poor, wretched, blind, sight riches, healings of the mind. Yea, all I need in thee I find, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. He said when they sang the next stanza, and this gentleman began to sing again, he didn't hear a horrible voice anymore. He heard a man speaking to God. And he saw God speaking to him. Why did you come this morning? Why did you come this morning? I hope we came to see God. To give him glory. To listen to his word. To be strengthened. I invite you to that. I invite you to that. He's not distant. He's right here. He's here with us. And if you're ready to humble yourself and come to him, if you don't know him, he wants to be your loving father. So come, scripture says. Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us bow down and worship. Let's kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker. Let's pray. Father, with all the words, there's only your word that makes a difference in our lives. We're thankful for that. We're thankful for the living word as he speaks to us, as he walks with us, as he talks with us, as we commune with him. And we're thankful for the written word of God, the scriptures, and how Jesus himself held up the scriptures and said, not one jot, not one tittle will disappear. That everything else passes away, but my word will not pass away. And people who come to me Find their glory in me. Worship me. Bow before me. Use their minds to understand the scriptures. Shout for joy at the glory of God. Confess their sins. In their lives will be rivers of living water. That will nourish and change and grow and bring life into their hearts. And the people around will rejoice and see my goodness and my perfect love. 
But Father, we give it to you. We give it to you this morning. For whatever reason that we've come this morning, pray that our hearts worship in song, in thought, in deed, in emotions, that we bow before you in adoration. We thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Pray this morning, if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, we invite you to come to him. Uh, good to start the new year. You know, Perhaps there's other decisions you need to make. We invite you to come. We'll pray with you in the front. 